Hello and welcome to TW Now, I'm Scott Winnale. If you follow the news, you're fully aware that the 21st century is not shaping up to be a century of global peace. In fact, as we look around the globe, we see increases in military spending everywhere. The military industrial complex in many nations is booming and military technology is rapidly advancing. Nations that in the last third of the 20th century imposed <coughs> military restrictions on themselves are loosening restrictions and instead pushing for growth. Nations that have limited their militaries to defensive purposes are now becoming offensive forces. Some nations are discussing nuclearizing their arsenals and like the nations like the US and China are expanding their military reach by creating bases in other countries. Why is this happening? Does the Bible give us any insights into the trends that we're watching? Is the world going to destroy itself through nuclear war? On today's program, we have two returning guests that can provide answers to some of these worrisome questions. <clears throat> I'd like to introduce now Mr. Dexter Wakefield. Mr. Wakefield has traveled many places in the world. He's a writer for the Tomorrow's World magazine and has written on geopolitical issues for many years. We're glad to have you with us, Mr. Wakefield. Glad to be here. And joining us on Skype, we have Mr. Ray Clore. Mr. Clore is a minister. He has also traveled and lived in many places in the world. <clears throat> he has a unique perspective because of his work with the U.S. State Department. He was actually commended by the State Department for outstanding support for nuclear, U.S. Uh, nuclear non-proliferation efforts, particularly in regards to Argentina and the Soviet Union. And because of this, he really brings an interesting insight and some perspective into world governments and how they work. Gentlemen, I'd like to welcome both of you back to TW Now, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Thank you. What I'd like to do is start off actually with Mr. Clore and ask you a question, and then Mr. Wakefield, please jump in. What are some examples of issues and nations around the world and their military buildup? Uh, as you think about what's going on around the world today, we do see military buildup happening. What are we seeing in some of these different nations? I think what we're seeing uh, is that the United States is trying to rebuild and modernize its forces, which have been left to sort of languish in the last 10 years or so. There's been a strain on U.S. military forces because of the long-standing war in Afghanistan and Iraq and Middle East. We also see the rise of China. China is expanding its reach in the South China Sea. It's building its submarine force. It's building its close-in uh, light attack craft force. It's building more uh, shows some more reliable missiles. The Russians are upgrading their missiles as well. Uh, the United States has had proof for a fairly long time that the Soviet or the Russians have been violating the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces uh, Treaty, the INF. And so we see that recently in the last several weeks, uh, President Trump has said his intention to pull the United States out of the INF. And that's probably as a reaction that China is not part of the INF, and so we need to build more missiles, he believes, to counter the Chinese threat. So those are some of the uh, aspects and, and issues we see today. Mr. Wakefield, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, China, of course, as uh, Mr. Clore said, they've gone through two decades of large military increases in their budgets that they've been spending. And of course, they can afford to do it. They've, they've had this huge growth in terms of their GDP. Um, 
the view, I think, geopolitically that's going on is that they're trying to establish hegemony over Asia and Southeast Asia, particularly controlling the South China Sea. They built those military bases on little islands that they created there. So they have the trouble, the ability to control the sea gates and much of the world's traffic travels right through there. That is a geopolitical threat to the United States. And I think, as Mr. Clore pointed out, the United States needs to it thinks or feels it needs to modernize and to do that. The U.S. military expenditures have been about constant, I think, but Europe is now beginning to increase them as well. So we are seeing a global military buildup and also an increase in the sophistication of those weapons. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, building on what Mr. Wakefield said, uh, the president of the United States has sort of shamed our NATO partners about the very low contributions that they have been making to their own defense for a long time. Um, and we figure that, for instance, Germany is only spending about 1.2% of its GDP on um, military expenditures uh, for about $44 billion a year. So if, if Germany raises its um, expenditures to about 2% of GDP, they would become, I believe, around the third or fourth largest uh, military uh, expenditure nation in the world. So the, Europe as a whole is being called upon by the United States to carry more of its burden. And what that means is that increase your military budgets to about 2% of GDP. And most of the European nations, uh, I think with the exception of France, are, are, are below that. There's maybe a few small Eastern European nations that are also 2%, but many of the European nations need to raise their expenditures to reach 2%. Okay. Uh, to follow up a little bit on what Mr. Clore said, uh, some of our younger viewers may not um, uh, know what NATO is. And one of the great embarrassments of being an old guy is that you remember history. And NATO was formed not long after I was born. It's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, for those of you who always wondered what NATO stands for. And younger people may not know. So that is the uh, alliance with the Europeans that was formed to counter the Soviet Union threat. An attack on one is an attack on all. So if, say, Germany were invaded uh, across the Iron Curtain back in the day when uh, the Soviet Union was ruling over there, then that is like an attack on the United States. So NATO has been the strategic bulwark against, uh, of the, for the defense of Europe for my entire lifetime. It was formed shortly after I was born, which was a long time ago. So um, when we have been providing Europe security services and they have not been living up to the 2% that they were supposed to be putting up for many, for many decades. So now the United States is trying to force them to do it, is forming a few little cracks in NATO, which is making Mr. Putin very happy. Mm. So that is the geopolitical situation that's going on there and why the U.S. is pushing this. Any thoughts or feelings? We've talked about um, <clears throat> a little bit about Russia. We've talked about Europe here. We've talked about China. Uh, you mentioned that the U.S. Uh, military expenditures have been pretty flat line for several years. What's interesting to me is even that flat line is about six times the amount of the next closest nation in terms of military expenditures. Um, what about the Middle East? What's any feel for what's going on with military in the Middle East? Military buildup. I think uh, there's a concern about Iran 
that uh, Saudi Arabia and some of the other Gulf nations uh, are, would like to defend themselves against uh, Iran. As you know, that's a religious issue. The Saudis and most of the Muslim world are Sunni, which is you know, the majority type of uh, Islam, but the, the Iranians are Shia and they have a different point of view about the world and, and they regularly fight each other. So uh, the Saudis have a huge military expenditure. They, they basically buy a lot of top end, high end uh, aerospace items from the United States, which accounts for uh, that, that huge figure. But the Saudis really don't have much of a navy or an army. So the United States has basically taken care of Saudi security needs since the 1930s. Nevertheless, uh, other nations in the Middle East are building up their concern uh, is about uh, the Iranians and the expansion of Iranian and Iranian mm, surrogates in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's certainly the case. Also, we have the Iranians that are, are trying or appear to be developing nuclear capability, which scares the living daylights out of the Saudis for sure. So uh, the Saudis are, I think, now the number two arms purchasers in all of the world, right behind India. Maybe we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. But uh, they are rearming heavily and with very sophisticated stuff. And it could very well be that um, there's talk about the uh, others wanting to develop nuclear capabilities if the Iranians get it. Okay. <clears throat> Mr. Klor, you mentioned a little bit ago about some of the arms treaties that may be uh, being dissolved here in the future. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background on whether or not arms treaties have even been effective in the past and some thoughts there. Sure. In the last third of the 20th century, there were several arms treaties that were actually pretty effective at uh, reducing the number of nuclear warheads, primarily between the USSR, the, uh, Russia, and the United States. Uh, we've seen, as I said, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Force Treaty, which is going to be denounced, it seems, by the United States, which would allow the United States to build up a uh, certain amount of uh, short-range uh, delivery systems, basically to counter China. We also see that um, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty called New START, uh, which is planned to, re to expire around 2021, that had the effect of limiting uh, deliverable nuclear warheads to about 1,500 for both uh, Russia and the United States. Um, it seems that the reason that the United States is going to let some of these things expire is, again, because of the perceived threat from China, but also to uh, renew our nuclear arms because Nuclear weapons, if they sit for long enough, they tend to deteriorate. Their explosive capability <coughs> tends to go down and their reliability tends to go down. So it seems like we do need to have a program of renewal if we're going to maintain a credible uh, nuclear deterrent. I wanted to ask Mr. Clore about something. Uh, I, I read this recently and I'd be very interested in hearing your opinion about it, is that uh, Putin uh, has expressed doubts about the treaty that you just mentioned, the um, inter, what was it again? The, the start? Uh, no, the other one, the um, intermediate missile. Intermediate range nuclear forces That's treaty. Right. Okay, that uh, he's expressed doubts about that all along, and it's been thought that maybe he would like to pull out of it, and that uh, he has 
done this violation that would possibly enable him to pull out of it because the U.S. pulled out of it. And uh, this is a strategic move or a very clever move by him to push, or is that U.S. propaganda? What do you think about that? It appears that the United States has known that Russia was violating this treaty for some time uh, during the Obama administration. Uh, the uh, security establishment uh, recognized this and it was discussed. Um, as a result, the United States decided to start a research and development program for new intermediate range nuclear forces, uh, but did not want to overtly uh, leave the treaty or to start building and deploying new missiles, even though it was understood that Russia was doing that. Hmm. <clears throat> Let me ask you another question related to this. Uh, we, and we've talked a little bit around this and in, in, in some of the issues. We see nuclear, or not nuclear, we, yeah, we do see nuclear buildup going on, but we see military buildup going on all around the world. <clears throat> Why are we seeing this? We are in the 21st century. Uh, democracy should be at a relatively mature level at this point. Uh, we understand the global <laughs> impacts and the devastating nature of weaponry. Why are we seeing military buildup here in the 21st century? And before you answer that question, I do want to let our audience know that uh, we do want to welcome you to TW now if you're just joining us. We are talking about a global military buildup. And if you've got any questions, please feel free to send them our way and we'll do our best to get to them. But back to the, back to the question, why are we seeing this global military buildup today? Well, um, one of the reasons is they can't. And you talk about democracies. Well, democracies might, their people might prevent their leaders from doing that. But uh, dictatorships and autocracies, they need to say, keep themselves in power. Uh, nationalism is on the rise. It's on the rise in Russia. It's on the rise in China. Uh, I think these are the, the natural desire of nations to expand into vacuum, power-wise. There's a great vacuum in Asia right now, um, power-wise. And I think that China wants to expand into it and to take its place in the world as a world power. So military power is the way to do it. Um, Russia is, is always Russia, I guess. They seem to be uh, aggressive towards their neighbors um, over the over the centuries, whether, whether it was the Russian Empire or invading Crimea or Ukraine or, uh, or the other places that they've invaded. So I think you'll see nations moving into power vacuums any way they can. I think the U.S. tends to do it from time to time as well. Yeah, I'd like just like to build on that when it comes to China. Um, China sort of went into a cocoon after the uh, around the time that the Europeans started uh, coming east, around 1500, Zhang He was the last admiral of the Chinese Navy that led expeditions out to the Indian Ocean. So China has been sort of sleeping uh, from a geopolitical point of view for about 500 years. And, and they also suffered a lot under European colonialism and the you know, the, the British who had the opium war that forced opium down into China's throat when they didn't want it. The Chinese have long memories. And so I think part of China's reason for wanting to expand and to become a world power is to redress some of those historical grievances. So it's a bit of like wounded pride. They want to show that they are just as good 
as uh, the rest of the world. And, and they do have a, a bit of an axe to grind historically with the Western powers. So China wants to build up uh, its own weapon system. They have imported and they've stolen a certain amount of um, uh, technology, but they're building up a, a large domestic um, arms industry. They're not going to be dependent upon importing arms, but they'll be able to outfit a very large army themselves. In fact, if we want to go to the prophecy part of things, uh, they might be able to outfit an army of 200 million men uh, from their own resources uh, because they're really building up that domestic arms industry. So there's geopolitical reasons, there's historical reasons. Uh, any other reasons why uh, nations might be building up militarily at this point in time? Well, I can think of uh, one big one is prophetic. And uh, uh, we may be getting into that in more detail. I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, let's, let's go in that direction. Um, because yeah. the, the question then becomes, okay, um, we, we see these things happening around the world. Should we be surprised by what we're seeing now? And what does the Bible have to say? It's, it's more we understand than just a uh, book of literature. But it does give us insight into why things are happening today and why things will happen in the future. Well, uh, the Bible indicates that it has a narrative of history. And one of the things it comes up to is this great cataclysmic end of this age in which there is massive wars and massive difficulties around the world. Uh, we know that the old adversary, Satan, is going to lead this effort, and he's going to fight. And they're going to fight Jesus Christ when he returns. So that requires, you mentioned the 200 million man army, Mr. Poor did. Um, that has to form, it has to be armed, it has to be ready, there has to be transportation for it to come from the kings of the east. Uh, the road is being built uh, now, that is under construction. I don't know if we'll get around to the, um, that, that great highway that's being built out there today, but that is being built for trade purposes as well. All of these, all of the pieces are coming together, the actors are coming onto the stage, and they need to be armed. They have the prop to act this out. Hmm. I think I'd like to just talk, if I could, just briefly about the destructiveness of nuclear warfare and how it relates to prophecy. Because if you look in Ezekiel chapter 5, uh, verse 12, it talks about how when Israel is attacked, one-third will die by the sword, one-third die because of the pestilence and things that sort of follow warfare. And then the, the remaining third are taken into captivity and the sword follows them. Now, if you have full-on total nuclear war, those percentages in terms of people dying would be much higher. Uh, so w there was a unclassified study done back in 2008 uh, modeling what are the effects of nuclear war. And a small nuclear exchange of only about 100 warheads, like between India and Pakistan, would lower the growing season in Iowa to uh, almost you know, the, the lowest level in a thousand years in terms of temperature. If you had a, a, an exchange of about 2,000 warheads, which is less than what the U.S. and Russia have together right now in terms of deployed warheads, that would bring the temperature of the world down to below the coldest part of the last ice age 10,000 years ago. And it does that because the fires that would result from nuclear explosions would put soot into the air and that soot blocks out the sunlight, 
and that effect would last between 10 and 20 years, which would mean agriculture would basically stop and people would starve. So it looks like from a prophetic standpoint, we're not going to have a full-on nuclear exchange where several thousand warheads get, get blown up all over the earth. It looks like if there is a nuclear exchange, that it's going to be fairly small in nature, something on the order of 10 to 20. Uh, and if that was directed against the United States, of course, that would cause devastation to our infrastructure and could result in the percentages we see in the book of Ezekiel. That's mm -hmm. interesting. <clears throat> now in our, in our uh, world where we have the majority of people in the world today living in cities, and many of these are big cities. I think I read something recently, maybe uh, by 2025, two-thirds of the world's population will live in cities. And so the destructive nature of a bomb dropped on a city is different than it would have been 50 years ago or 100 years ago. I don't mean to joke about this, but I certainly hope no one considers that the cure for global warming is nuclear war. <laughs> that is something we certainly don't want to see. But, you know, you talk about growing up. I grew up with everyone being scared to death of nuclear war with the Soviet Union. And Nikita Khrushchev was pounding his shoe on the table of the UN and saying, we will bury you and terrible things like that. And that was serious danger of that. The total of USSR and US uh, weapons, I guess with Russia, with the USSR, it was like 40,000 nuclear weapons. The US about 20 at their height. That was back in the mid 1980s. And since then, as you uh, pointed out, um, Mr. Floor, that the, um, those have been greatly reduced. Most of the US and, US and Russia are down to about 7,000 each. A lot of those are tactical in nature, um, small explosions to stop a brigade or something on somewhere. But still, that's a terrible thing, and many of them are strategic nuclear weapons that could wipe out entire metropolitan areas. So um, any nuclear exchange by anyone is going to be very dangerous, and even between India and Pakistan, who knows who all that could draw in? Well, I think we have to remember it's not just Russia and the U.S., India and Pakistan, but also France has nuclear weapons, the U.K. has nuclear weapons, North Korea has nuclear weapons, Israel has nuclear weapons. Uh, there's other countries China, and yeah. China, mm -hmm. and they have a couple hundred nuclear weapons. So it doesn't take too many to have a catastrophic effect. And I just true. wanted to just, just to add one more thing in terms of the nuclear explosions. Yes, it causes a nuclear winter, but it also takes down the ozone protective layer in a large measure. And we see something in Revelation 16, verse 8. It says, men are scorched because of the great heat, and yet they don't repent of their sins. Uh, what happens when the ozone goes down is that you have a lot more ultraviolet. And so you have sunburn, you have skin cancers, you have uh, problems with eyesight, cataracts. So, I mean, the kind of effects that we see written in the Bible do tend to indicate there will be at least a small nuclear exchange of some sort that would cause certain amount of uh, destruction, uh, nuclear winter, and also loss of ozone. Well, and death, right? You've, you've got uh, one-third in, in one particular yes. instance, Revelation talks about, of mankind being destroyed through uh, certain plagues that are going to take place. We've got a Facebook question I'd like to ask both of you. It says, according to the Bible, it seems we have little chance to prevent World War III. Is there really anything we can do to extend a time of peace 
or prevent war? That's a, that's, a, that's a very good question. I wish I knew, and I think there's a lot of politicians that wish they knew how to do that. I, I think the efforts to have peace will go on. Uh, but what does the Bible say? Peace, peace, when there is no peace. The world is filled with what the biblical description is Satan's kingdom, Satan's mountain. And he rules the roost here. Uh, the, the Church of God does not. And mankind does not know the way to peace. They will try it, but they're natures will continue to push them in the wrong direction, I fear. I, I fully agree with that. Um, it seems that the most effective thing that we can do is to live peaceful lives ourselves with our neighbors, uh, do a lot of prayer to God that uh, he would keep the world in a peaceful uh, situation as long as it is his will for the preaching of the gospel to go on. But in terms of broad scale movements, I, I don't think that that would be really a profitable activity for, for people today. It, it brings up the question, <clears throat> God's able to predict what's going to happen at the end of the age. We, we, we know it's in print here in the Bible. Why is he able to predict it? And why is he, he's God, why is he letting it? happen? Why will he let these events play out to a point? Well, he says he knows the end from the beginning, and he tells us the end from the beginning. The Bible is, a, I like to call it a 7,000-year book, and it has a narrative of both past and future history as it relates to God's plan. I would urge our readers, if you um, want to, to um, read our booklets on this subject. We have a, a lot written about it, and we cover that regularly into the Tomorrow's World magazine. So you can stay up with where we are in the prophetic chain of events simply by reading what the church is producing. That's one of the things that we do here. But uh, I, I do think that we have a, uh, a, a situation where the world is on its course, and God is going to let it play out in this age and let mankind see that he simply can't do it by himself. We need Jesus Christ to return, to establish his kingdom, and that is the way that the world will have peace for a thousand years and then thereafter. Yeah, I'd just like to support that 100% and just add that it's an issue of freedom of choice, free will. God is allowing human beings to try their own ways, their own governmental systems, their their own ideas uh, on, on how to govern themselves. And because we have that free choice, that free will, God is able to predict where that's going to end up. Uh, that free will, that free choice is obviously inspired and sort of guided and motivated by the envy, jealousy, envy of uh, the devil, the arrogance of the devil, the pride of the devil. And that's behind a lot of things, which you don't see a lot in foreign policy magazines. But on this program, since we do have a spiritual understanding, uh, there is a devil and there is this spiritual malign being behind a lot of what's going on in the world today. And God's allowing it because he wants human beings to see what happens if they make choices that depart from God's will. Um, the church still talks about the two trees. Remember the two trees as a tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And how do we get off on this course in the first place? Well, mankind thought that he could decide good and evil, right and wrong for himself, and rejected what God says. God tells us what is right. He tells us what is wrong. 
and mankind simply will not accept it. So they uh, do as Mr. Floor said, they go out and form their own governments, their own educational institutions, everything they're trying, they always fail, and then they go back to the tree, take another, so to speak, bite of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they go out and try it again. And they go over and over and over, and God wants, I think, to let mankind figure out, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And they need uh, to uh, Christ rule his government when the law goes forth from Zion and the word of God from Jerusalem, and that will bring peace. But until that happens, we're not going to have it. Sorry, it's not within mankind to find it, I don't think. Right. <clears throat> so God has prophesied these things to take place. Uh, we have discussed in our conversation today sort of what's going on in the world today. What are some of the motivations behind it? The fact that these things have to happen. And in fact, the Bible goes into more detail than we've had the opportunity to talk about today in terms of nations fighting against nations and different regions of the world that this is going to take place in. <clears throat> we are needing to begin winding down here. As we look back at our conversation today, what kind of advice or what kind of thoughts would you like to leave the audience with today regarding our discussion? And again, we've just had to, a chance to scratch the surface. Well, I could go first, I guess. Uh, from my experience in the State Department and nuclear nonproliferation, I could say that the effects of modern nuclear warfare are such that if and when there is a even a modest nuclear exchange, there will be no, and I repeat, no safe place left in the United States or in any modern country due to the worldwide impact on agriculture and infrastructure. Even countries like in Africa or South America that might not be directly attacked, they will be affected by the climate change uh, that will result from a nuclear exchange. And I would like to just also say, because I think we all know people that are called preppers that are trying to put together food and things like that uh, to last for years at a time, I guess. You, you know you're just deceiving yourself if you think that. I mean, I'm not against having maybe a month supply of food if there's a hurricane or some kind of problem that way. That, that's one thing. But thinking that you're going to have food and armaments and water while the rest of the world around you is is going up in flames, I, I think you're just deceiving yourself. Really, the only place of safety that's really going to be sure and reliable is with God and Jesus Christ. And so I think we need to really spend our time drawing close to God and loving God, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and God will take care of us if we are close to him. Mr. Floyd just teed up a great quote for me. Uh, I, I, I read this. Let me just read this quote. It says, There is no war in space, just as there is no war in cyberspace. There is only war. Chilling quote, at least to me. Here's the daylights out of me. Mm. It means that when we have this war, when this war starts in modern times, it will not only be in space, space wars, it will be in cyberspace, it will be on the land, the sea, and the air. It's going to engulf the earth, which plays into very much what we've been talking about today. Um, I do think that we are coming up uh, soon on the end of the age. That's what the Bible says when it says the end of the world. It means the end of an age, a period of time that God has allotted for all this to happen. At the end of that time, there's three and a half years of 
terrible things that come upon the earth. We've talked about just some of them today. We're going to see religious and political leaders arise in Europe. Uh, they're going to be dominant in the world. The one particular, the political leader, is uh, going to be literally possessed or influenced by uh, the devil, we believe, by Satan, the adversary, and who also knows that his time is coming up to an end, mm. is about to end. So he's going to be very angry, and he is going to gather all of the peoples of the world, all the nations, 200 million men, according to Revelation 9, 16. I heard the number, he said, that's the number. Incredible that that could happen, but it could literally happen in the context of today's event. And they're going to gather against Jerusalem and fight, of all things, against Christ when he comes. Total deception over the whole world. Um, these things are coming according to the Bible, and we're um, watching them now. But the good news is, that's all the bad news, the good news is um, Satan loses and Christ wins and establishes his kingdom. And that's what we preach and announce to the world uh, on this program and all that we do. Another related quick question as we end. Do we have to worry about mankind annihilating himself with weapons of war? Well, as we read the Bible, the answer is no. The human beings will not be annihilated. Jesus said that, uh, that because of the elect's sake, the flesh, human beings would be saved alive. If, if it wasn't because there were faithful people on earth, no flesh would be saved alive. So the fact that there are a faithful group of people, there's people who are faithful in all nations around the world today, who are faithful to God, because of them, God's going to save humanity alive. So no, we don't have to be afraid that humanity will be uh, become extinct because of nuclear war. Uh, God has a purpose. He's implementing it in the world today. And it's just as Mr. Poor said, uh, he will preserve it for the sake of his elect and for his plan. As his word goes forth, it does not come back empty to him, and he will complete everything that he said that he was doing, and that is a message of great hope. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your thoughts and your comments today. It, it has been enlightening and encouraging, too, as we end here. I, I do see one more uh, YouTube question that I don't want to answer here, but it's an interesting question. It says, doesn't the rapture come before war? And I'd just like to uh, reference you to our TW Nows of the past. We've actually done a couple of programs on that. Or go to our tomorrowsworld.org website, and you'll find all kinds of information on the rapture or the secret rapture. As we look around the world and we see continuing military buildup around the globe, it's easy to become discouraged and develop a feeling that life is futile. However, according to the Bible, this military buildup should be expected, as we've talked about today. Military conflicts will continue. They are a sign that the end of the age and Christ's return is ultimately approaching. Mankind, with all his intelligence and advances, is actually incapable of finding the way to peace by himself. We've just talked about that. The path to peace lies only through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ and through adherence to his law of liberty, the Ten Commandments. Thanks to the Bible, we can look at world events and know where they will lead. God reveals his plan and our future through the Bible, his inspired word. 
For more insights into this topic today, please go to our tomorrowsworld.org website, and I encourage you to look up the article, Will Wars Ever Cease? Just go to the tomorrowsworld.org website, type in, Will Wars Ever Cease? And you can read that article. For more encouraging news about the future and insights, you can check out our tomorrowsworld.org website and stay tuned to TW Now each week. Next week, we plan to discuss what's happening with the weather. You won't want to miss it. We look forward to seeing you again, hopefully, next week.